I pray, Lord, that those that are seeking an identity will find it in you. I thank you, Lord, that the, all of us are at some stage, at some point, of finding an identity, and it can be constantly changing. And I'm praying that in the end, we will find that our true identity is in you, Lord. That there'll be no doubt about it. There'll be no hesitation about it. We will be identified with you, Lord. I thank you for that, and I pray for, pray for what we have to say here tonight and what we, what we together will learn tonight. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a real treat for some of y'all tonight. First, I've got to do this. I've got to put this on. Did I, what? Did I hear some, Tony, why are you shaking your head? Do you, do you identify this with me? Is there some sort of connection there? Do you? Do y'all know me as a Tennessee fan? You had no... <laughs> Love me anyway. Love me anyway, brother. Love me. <laughs> well, my, my question for you tonight is, is this my true identity? Tennessee fan? Okay, for, for those of you that don't know, and I'm taking it off now, so the offense is over with, all right? The, uh, the reason I wear that and the reason I have that is because I have an engineering degree from the University of Tennessee. I grew up in East Tennessee. I slaved and worked for four years to get an engineering degree. It didn't come easy. I promise you it didn't come easy. So I have that connection. So in some way, yes, my identity is related to this, but also notice what I'm wearing. Do I have some identity with Christ because I'm wearing this shirt? Well, I hope so. I hope that you look at me and say, eh, he must be one of those Christian people. Well, we all, as we grow older, sometimes more quickly than others, we develop an identity. Now, tonight I'm speaking about baptism and belief. Now, what has this got to do with baptism and belief? I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, and I'll get to it. I, I promise you I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Um, Kenny has told you, and I'm sure you're well aware. I don't know where he went to. But, you know, he's told you he was a band geek. He's told you that. But he's not really told the full story of how he developed an identity. Now, we know him as our pastor. You know, he's a loving guy. We would say that. He's a loving guy, cares about people. He wants to do missions work. He loves God. He loves Christ. That's, that's, that's more his identity than the fact that he was a geek at some point in time, is it not? I would hope so. You know, that's, that's a kind of a humorous thing to say about him. But... My point is that he developed as a person, and it didn't just happen overnight. He developed as a person. And how did that occur? How do, how do all of y'all develop as a person? And, you, and we say about young people all the time, well, they're just finding themselves. They're trying to see who they are. We say that all the time. Well, that, that is true. That is true. But you become 
to a great degree, you typically become who you want to be. Kenny did not want to be known as a geek, a band geek. So I know that he was on the first soccer team that was ever established at Oxford High School. He was a co-captain. So he became more of a jock. He was known more. You know, back then, soccer was not as big as it is now. But people began to look at him and say, well, he's not really as geeky maybe as I thought he was. Yeah, yeah. So, so he, changed, he changed his identity a little bit. And then I know he was a real hard worker in school. And if my memory serves me correctly, he was, you know, in the senior uh, superlatives, he was the most voted the most likely to succeed, the best I remember. So he went from a geek to the most likely to succeed, primarily through hard work and an intent to change his identity. Well, just as an aside to that, has anybody in here ever, if, if you're willing to admit, ever watched Big Bang Theory? Okay. All right. I'll watch it. And there's a character on there named Howard Wallowitz, who is a, an engineer. Engineer. Okay, I'm an engineer. Okay, I had to say that. So he's an engineer, and he was selected to be a payload specialist on a, on a uh, shuttle flight going to the space station. And he wanted to have an identity. So he had on his cell phone, he had Rocket Man put on there. So he's, he's supposed to have a FaceTime session with a, an astronaut. And so Rocket Man is so, supposed to play while he's talking to this guy. He says, well, then he'll probably think, well, we'll call you Rocket Man. Everybody's got some kind of funny name, all these astronauts do. So they'll call me Rocket Man. So about that time when he's FaceTiming the astronaut, his mother hollers, son, I've got your Fruit Loops. And so the astronaut hears it, and he says, Fruit Loops? Who said that? He said, well, that's my mom, and that's what I've got for breakfast. Fruit Loops, yeah, that's a, that's a good name for you. So by mistake, his astronaut name became Fruit Loops. So that, that can happen in our lives. But again, he didn't do anything to get that changed. He just kind of kept it. And the same thing applies to us that if we're given an identity, if society gives us an identity and we don't nurture the identity that we want and we just let people keep that identity for us, there's, there's no reason for it to change. Now... That's kind of a long roundabout way to get where I'm going. But speaking of change, and we're going to talk about baptism tonight. Um, there is a lot of scripture saying what baptism was to be, and, and I could have bored you with all of it. In the Old Testament where God declared that uh, for, say, a, a woman who has given birth that for so many days after she's given birth, she's supposed to bathe. And then after so many days, she is declared okay to assume her normal housewife wife duties. Now, these people did not bathe as we bathe. And that bathing is, in our terms, baptism. 
In the Jewish tradition, what you would do when you bathed or baptized is nobody touched you. You did it on your own. You went to a chamber, which should have flowing water in it, and you went in, you went down the steps, and when you got down in deep enough water, you simply squatted and went under the water, and you arose, and you were baptized. And much of the purpose of doing that, if you had some duty at the temple, something, some uh, religious something you were supposed to be doing, you were required to do this before you went and partook in all of that. And the reason was because God only knows you have some sin on you, you have something nasty on you, and we can't have you tainting the temple and the religious goings on. Heaven forbid if we let somebody come into our temple that's dirty. See how messed up that is? We can't have dirty people coming into our temple. So part of the ritual that they went through had to do with going through this routine. You didn't have to do anything except be willing to go dunk yourself in the water. You couldn't have anybody touch you. Nobody could help you do that because some of that sin could rub off on them. Now, if you have some well-meaning, God-fearing person who helps you, how can that sin rub off onto them? But this was Jewish tradition. And it could have stayed that way. It literally could have stayed that way. But Jesus changed all that. Jesus and his cousin, John the Baptist, changed all of that. So it didn't transition just quickly from, from one thing to another. The Jewish tradition of, of dunking yourself, baptism per se. It didn't just happen just like that. It had to be transformed. Um, our baptismal over here would not would not do in a Jewish church. It's a temporary portable container. There again, religiosity came into this thing that God ordained that these people would have to bathe themselves, do this and this because of these circumstances. But then man got a hold of it and they said, well, it really needs to be flowing water. And then it really doesn't need like, you know, bring out a, uh, you know, cattle feeding trough and let people be baptized in that because, you know, that just doesn't look good. So the Jewish tradition and religion had perverted it, quite honestly. Okay. Can I have my first scripture? Acts 19. Okay. This is what the Apostle Paul had to say about it. He said, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. And he asked him, he said, do you believe the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. And they said, no. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. See, these people were at only the very beginnings of an understanding of what faith in Christ was. They understood that Christ was the Son of God. They, they, they believed that. So they were said to be Christians. Now, how many people do we have that call themselves Christians that say that? They say, oh, I believe Jesus was the Son of God. I believe he lived. I believe he was crucified. 
dead and buried, buried and don't respond to the rest of the message. How many do we know that have accepted that and have not been baptized? What are they, closet Christians? Is that what they are? It's like, yeah, I'm one of those people, but, you know, I just kind of, well, you know, that's just between you and me. And There is no such thing. It's either you are a complete Christian or you're something else. So to continue with that, he said, um, no, they replied, even, they, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. They didn't know about the Holy Spirit. They didn't know that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to come after he left to guide them and direct them. So what are they listening to? All they can be listening to is each other and some preacher telling them this and that, but they have not been trained to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. If they don't believe there is such a thing, how could they be listening for it? Um, and then he said, then what baptism did you experience? And they replied, the baptism of John. Now John, to begin the transformation, when Jesus began his ministry, John, who was a cousin, was going around and he was baptizing people unto repentance. Have you ever heard that phrase before? In other words, he was taking the Jewish baptism, which essentially it meant nothing when you did it other than you're being compliant to the law and compliant to what the rabbis told you you've got to do but John would take you and he'd say you know do you, do you want God to forgive you of your sins well yes yes I'm sorrowful for what I've done do you, do you really believe that God will forgive you yes yes I do well let's pray about that I can imagine that John did this and he said well let's pray about this okay are, do, you, do you really believe that God is going to forgive you of your sins. Yeah. Well, let, let, me, let me take this Jewish ritual, but I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to take you. Let, I'm, going to, I'm going to be the one. I'm your leader. I'm going to be the one, and I'm going to baptize you. I'll put you under. I will help you to do this. In Judaism, no one helped. No one helped in the baptism process. So he would help them to be baptized, and then I'm sure they had a conversation about that afterwards, about maintaining a life of no sin against God. So that was a complete radical change, and John had a lot of followers. He had people, I mean, this, this is something brand new. Oh, I don't have to go slaughter an animal. I don't have to, I don't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem. I, I can simply ask God to forgive me, and this man will help me, and I can have my sins washed away. That, that was a very new thing. That was a very new thing but it was still incomplete. And Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. So John gave them a foretaste of that. He said, this is good, this is a great thing, but there's someone that's coming that you're going to need to believe in. He didn't name him, but of course that was Jesus. And then Jesus saw John one day baptizing people, and Jesus himself asked to be baptized, which gave validity to what John was doing. If Jesus himself wanted to be seen, visible to multitude, being baptized, then that meant it had great significance. Uh, the, the plot continues. Give me the next scripture. 
Acts 22. And the, the apostle Paul said this, and I'm sure there are some preachers, perhaps even Kenny, that would say that. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. So Paul was a little miffed, probably. He was saying, you say that you believe, you think you've done everything that needs to be done. What are you waiting for? Get baptized. Please, please, please be baptized. So when Kenny baptizes people, what does he say? Can anybody recite for me exactly what he says? Uh, I bet you can't, because I certainly couldn't. <laughs> just in a very, just in a very gen general sense. So I asked Kenny to, to tell me exactly what it is that he says. And he gave it to me. And this, this is what you say. And it covers all the bases. Now, I've had, I've had different people ask me, they said, well, I, when your pastor baptizes, does he say such and such and such and such? I mean, just off the wall things. He said, does he, does he baptize them in the, uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Well, I mean, like, it really wouldn't count. Well, the truth of the matter is that if a person really repents and believes that Jesus is the Son of God and he is the author of our salvation, that's the essential part. That's the essential part. You know, we, again, we can get very religious about all of this, but this is what Kenny literally says. He quotes the person's name. And then he says, Is it your public confession, profession, that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And of course they nod their head. That he lived a perfectly sinless life, was crucified, dead and buried, and on the third day rose again. That's the essentials of Christ's life. And his sacrifice on the cross paid the penalty for your sins, past, present, and future. Note, he said future which means that if you truly believe that, and you're not just playing some game, that if you dedicate, dedicate, take on the identity of a Christian and profess to, to live the remainder of your life in love with Jesus and living as him, then even your future sins, not seeking to sin, but if you do, they are forgiven. And then he states their name again. He says, do you commit your life to denying yourself? What do you mean deny myself? Don't do everything that you want to do. That's what that means. And following the Holy Spirit who now lives within you. If you are a true believer and have made a true confession, the Holy Spirit, this is what Paul was saying. What about the Holy Spirit? And they said, we never even heard there was one. And he's saying that Holy Spirit will be within you if you are a true believer. And then he says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, once this has been done, then you can go back to doing whatever it was you were doing, right? It should be such, after you've done this, that you take on a new identity. Do you agree with me? Remember what I said about you can, you're the author of your identity. You can let other people establish what your identity is, 
or you can alter it yourself. If you're willing to publicly go up there in front of this congregation and truthfully in front of God himself and declare these things, you should have a new identity. Okay. I was looking through some things the other day and I just happened to cross these and uh, they're very near and dear to me and I'm, I'm, I've got three pictures I'm going to show y'all. Y'all see that? That's 1.4 million men in Washington, D.C., October the 4th, 1997. Mr. B and I were there willing to let the world see them as followers of Christ. It's what we were doing, wasn't it, Roger? It was called Stand in the Gap, 1.4 million. I can't imagine that any of those men there cared what anybody thought about them, their identity, other than they were a follower of Christ. 1.4 million. Give me the next picture. Who is not holding up his hand? I don't think anybody. I took, I took these next two pictures. I, I was not because I was taking a picture at the time. I, I, that's, that's confession. But I put my camera away. And it was a remarkable event because you, ha, you take, I don't care what they believe in, you take that number of people believing in one thing and acting in one accord. God is going to see that. The world should see that. The world should say, these, these guys have taken on an identity of some sort. I, I don't know what that is, but I've got to find out. Why, how can they all be doing that? And then one of our speakers, he said, he said that he was going to pray. And he said, and I don't want you to stand there and pray. He said, I want you to get down on your faces. So give me the next picture. I know this gentleman right here, he's not down on his face because he had bad hips and knees and could not get down there and get back up. That's the only reason he was not down there. And there's a few examples of that over there. It was awesome. It was awesome. So I want to stand here today and say, I was one of them. Mr. B was one of them. And I pray, I pray that that's the, how you identify us. I, I, I pray that you say that's, that's our identity. It bothers me. I was, I was going to bring one in. I was going to bring you. I promise you I was going to bring somebody's obituary in here. I was going to strike out the names. But when I read an obituary and it says, so-and-so lived in such and such community, and this is his family, and the funeral is here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and they they were, and for sake of not offending anyone, we'll say, and he was an avid LSU fan. He was an avid LSU fan. He loved LSU. He went to every game he could go to. Da 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 da. And, end, and in the end, he, he, he passed away with his family surrounding him. Wow, what an identity, right? But when you read about some precious saint of God who some lady passed away and you know, she, she served in the, the kitchen at such and such church and at the soup kitchen, and she 
you, you know, you know these kinds of things and, and never received any accolades, never received any big rewards. Which identity do you want? Which identity do you want? Well, now we'll get to the gist of the message which was prescribed by my son, which is, by the way, I've, I've got to mention this, is that, and, we, and we've talked about this before, there is no collusion between Kenny and he, any of us that get up here to speak. I got up here to speak one time talking about people who made massive mistakes in their life, and I was going to talk about Abraham and Isaac, how Abraham was, God had promised him a son by, by Sarah and she sent her handmaiden, and he had a child by that, by that woman. And I, I was going to use him as a solid example of somebody really messed up. And I could not do it. I just I, I substituted Jonah. And not long after that, Kenny came to me and said, Dad, I need you to, your message to be about Abraham and Isaac. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's going on here? <laughs> And then I had this, this message made up about our identity and what does my son do but Sunday get up here wearing his baptismal clothes. He didn't want his identity to be dressed up for Easter because he had a message about Jesus and his resurrection. It wasn't about how we look. It, doesn't matter. It's not, it wasn't about that sort of thing. And I think, what is going on here? <laughs> And it tickles me, really does tickle me. When the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is guiding your path and you don't even know, you don't even know you're being guided sometimes. It's fun. Okay, Romans 6. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter. The Apostle Paul says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And he's, he's preaching to people who are new Christians. They don't know how this works. He says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism? Now this, come, this is some of the mysterious part. I'm joined with Jesus in baptism. I cannot literally be crucified and die on a cross and be resurrected like Jesus. But I can submit myself to dying to my old sinful ways and I can, be, I can symbolize that in some way or another. Well, let's take this old tradition of Jewish baptism, which didn't amount to anything. Let's take that. John has been using that to bring people to repentance. Let's take that ritual. Let's incorporate that. So Paul is saying that you will be like Christ if you will be baptized. He says, we join him in his death for we, were we, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. He's saying that if you are baptized, you are submitting to a type of death, not literal like Jesus but to a type of death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And he is saying, because you have submitted to this, and you, it's a heart thing. 
you have to believe in your heart that what you're doing is submitting and it's in accord with what Scripture says. You know, you, we can write all day long, well, wouldn't it have been better if I, what if we just make a wooden coffin and we put you in that and then we say a few words over you and then we open up the coffin and we declare that you're alive. Well, no, let's, let's take the ritual of baptism and, and let's make it represent all of that. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, there it is again, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, there again, ritually, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Let it stay dead. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? There again, if you have taken on this new identity, live according to that new identity. If you're still infatuated with your old way, then you're obedient to it. You're a slave to it. People say, oh, well, I can control those things. I, you know, I, I do some things that are not so good, but, you know, I don't, it's not really a habit, and I know when I can and when I can't. I had a pastor that said one time, he said, if this edge of this platform, everything's good up here, and down there is sin and hell and all kinds of things, why do I stand at the edge of the platform? What's the purpose of that? You know, like, you know, you've heard Kenny say, he said, you know, I don't like heights, and I'm going to stand back and look and say, there it is. That should be our attitude. Like, that's not good ground down there. I'm going to stay up here. Okay, Romans 10. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. There we go. The Ten Commandments, you've got to be perfect. You've got to be perfect. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. 
And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you, listen carefully, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I pray that everyone here has adopted the identity of being a Christian. Um, again, we, we use these churchy terms sometimes when we talk about, you know, being uh, dead to our sins and alive in Christ and all this kind of thing. Yeah, there's, there's symbolism in it. But we have to adopt it and we have to say, well, I don't have to understand each and every word and how that came to be. And I, I, I know I kind of go back into the background of how these things come about and everything. But I, I want you to understand that things were perverted. When Christ came in, into this world, things that should have been righteous, things that should have been good, should have been done in the right way, were not. And he came, as he said, I came to make all things new. So baptism is for a true believer an absolute essential in my mind. If I want my identity to be that of a Christian, why would I refrain from being baptized? I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Am I afraid? The greatest, impedit, um, the greatest impediment to ministry is fear of man. You know, you go on the street and you say, well, I need to say a kind word to this person. I need to tell them about Jesus. Well, people will be looking at me and they, you know, I don't know. And this guy might not like what I have to say. And, you know, so we become afraid. We really do. We become afraid. Why do we not get baptized when we say we're saved? We're afraid of what people look. My hair will look all bad. Yeah, look bad. I promise you, anybody in here who's never been baptized, I am so overjoyed when I see somebody baptized. There's no greater event that I can think of in this world. I mean, it's better than a litter of new puppies to me. To see, yeah, yeah, really. I would rather, I'd rather see somebody be baptized. And, and I mean, I, there's times I wanted to jump in there with them. Yeah. So if, if you're afraid, if you're not baptized, and if you're afraid... You need to establish your identity with Christ. All right, let, let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that uh, I've represented you well tonight. Lord, I know that your scripture has all the answers. I know that sometimes we don't seem to see and understand the language but I pray that we would always understand that you were willing to die for us and that we, we've, we're just obligated to, Lord. We're just obligated to symbolize in our lives that dedication you had for us and that, that we're, willing, we're willing to make public declarations. We're willing to take on your identity, Lord. So I pray that you would strengthen us each and every day as we attempt to do this in public I pray that we would have no fear that even if we do have fear we would do it anyway I pray you would strengthen us each and every day in our, in our walk 
in the Christian faith. I thank you, Lord, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.